0: What's up, patrons? Ben and Chad here once again as the CME's Patreon Power Hour rolls on for May nineteenth, twenty twenty-three, and again, Pledge Month continues to roll on here at the CoMain Event Podcast. Today marks the last day of our free offerings over there on the Co-Main Event Podcast proper podcast feed. So, this episode of the podcast will be the last of your freebies. Of course, Pledge Month itself rolls on for another couple of weeks. So, you will have some time to think it over. If you like what you heard this week and last week, we'd love it if you came to the conclusion that you should support the podcast by signing up for a Patreon subscription over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Like we told you yesterday, get access to hours and hours of additional premium content every single week. Plus, get access to our official Discord message board where the people are over there just talking it up, chopping it up, arguing it up. Well, mostly just cordially conversing, actually, about fights and about a bunch of other stuff. It's happening 24-7, 365, and we'll remind you, if you sign up for an annual subscription during Pledge Month, you get 10% off. And if you do it at the $10 or $20 level, we'll send you a free t-shirt. Just go in and pick what you want from our store. Send me an email with your size and address, and we'll get it in the mail to you, ASAP. Of course, that offer is available only to patrons in the United States of the co-main event podcast, but we're going to do something special for the international people starting next week. Join up with us. You won't regret it. Patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben, today on the Power Hour, the big boys pointing fingers. We're talking about harsh words being slung around. John Jones to Francis Ganu. Francis Ngannou to John Jones, John Jones to Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury to John Jones, Francis Ngannou to Tyson Fury. It's a, it's like the Spider Man gif of mm-hmm. all the Spider Mans pointing at each yeah. other. That's what's happening among these high pro high profile heavyweights right now. So we are going to dip into that, talk about exactly what, if anything, is going on between the big fellas, and then of course we'll get into. Twenty dollars We never want to see again. And then after that, we'll break down power rankings to get everybody set up for this weekend where you've got both a BKFC event and a UFC fight night. So that is all very exciting stuff. Let's let's first we'll just talk a little bit about the the uh, the round robin trash talk that's going on between Jones, Fury and Ngannou. And then I know maybe in the second half of this conversation, we will talk about the irony, perhaps of your boy Bones being out here slinging these arrows at Francis Ngannou when not so long ago, mm, they were sort of in the same situation. One guy made one choice. The other guy seemingly may have been forced into making the other choice. And now John Jones feels like he's got uh, his dander up and he's up there, you know, talking and talking junk to Francis Ngannou. But let's start here. Joe Rogan of all people in some
1: ways
0: (laughs) appears to have kicked this off. And you know what? We're not going to sit here a lot on this show and defend stuff that Joe Rogan says over on his uh, far more successful podcast brands. But this one to me was just the same shit that we as MMA people have been saying since the nineties, really that being that if you took a boxer And an MMA person of the same, uh, 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 you know, weight class of sorts locked them in a room together, which is a funny thing to think about anyway, where they had to settle a dispute. Let's say that the MMA guy would win because of the better rounded skill set, the more diverse skill set. So Joe Rogan, probably high off his ass, talking to a comedian, (laughs) says this last week on one of his podcasts and Tyson Fury gets wind of it. And it seems like it's the thing that sucked Tyson Fury back into social media. He had been away for a while, but then someone pulled his coat to the fact that Joe Rogan was out here talking shit, but when not really, he was just, like I said, repeating the same uh, argument that we've been making for damn near 30 years. And then Tyson Fury has to make his video and then John Jones has to clap back. And then Tyson Fury has to say more shit. And then John Jones has to say more shit back to him. It's just, it's ridiculous is what it
1: is. First of all, when you say Joe Rogan has a far more popular or successful podcast, it depends how we define success, Chad.
0: That's true. You know yeah. what? That's a great point.
1: In terms of raising the level of discourse in the MMA space, I think we've been quite successful.
0: <laughs> Under the, the money, far more traditional little... <laughs> markers of success, let's say. He's a couple, he's a little bit ahead of us. A couple steps. For now. For now. For now. Yeah. He's probably looking over his shoulder, though. He's probably like, oh, here comes the CME on the backstretch.
1: Feels the hot breath of the CME on the back (laughs) of his neck. Uh, It's interesting, is it not, that when motherfuckers are all in different places and nobody is contractually even close to fighting one another, people got a lot to say in those moments, don't they? Yeah. Whole lot of shit to say.
0: Yeah, let's see. I'm going to actually – not that it deserves it, but I do want to uh, read the uh, the Tyson Fury quotes here, the original Tyson Fury quotes. Here's what he says about Joe Rogan. He says, I heard Joe Rogan say something about me, and I've been off all the social medias and didn't reply to that little pussy, that little now, fucking say, midget. No, well, no, let me get to this
1: part. Bald-headed <laughs> okay. midget. Okay. <laughs> well. so." Don't you hate when you, when you, got, I hate on somebody else's behalf when I hear you had yourself a good social media break going. You, you pulled your own social media plug. You were doing a social media fast. You were making it. You were living a life. You were out there. You got away. Yeah. You got away. And then to get pulled back in by, of all things, Joe Rogan, I hate to see it, man. Yeah. I want, I want us all to be able to get off social media. That is my dream for us all, is to delete and end all social medias. And whenever I see somebody get so close to achieving that goal, only to get pulled back in by Joe Rogan. <laughs>
0: Joe Rogan, who he calls a bald-headed fucking midget here, despite the fact that Tyson Fury himself is as bald as a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> this guy, I mean, neither of them have any hair, right? So, like, what? Why, how would you look at somebody else and be like, oh, this guy's bald when you yourself are out here without a hair to be found atop your head? It's just, I'm not hating on either of them, but, like, it's just a weird thing to, to use as a diss to somebody else when you yourself yeah. has that have that going on. It's like if I looked at you and I was like, four eyes fucking like nerd over there in your glasses like it just doesn't make
1: sense. It's, it's it's really is the onion headline hipsters angrily call each other hipsters <laughs> uh that kind of vibe. I mean also in fairness, Tyson Fury going to call people midgets, my man, you're a giant. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, sure, fine. Everybody looks like a midget from where you're standing. But come on, bro. Come on.
0: Headline on uh MMA fighting, John Jones issues fiery response Mm -hmm. to Tyson Fury over Joe Rogan comments. Here's what it is. Hey, Tyson. It seems like Joe may have struck a nerve. I'll admit there's no one touching you in that ring right now, but let's not confuse you... Hold on here. i got to wait for my computer to load up because John Jones went over the character limit because he's got the Twitter blue. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's not catch. Let's not let that confuse you with what would happen if you stepped foot in my cage. If you ever want to put some of those questions you've got going on to rest, give Dana a call. Yeah, I'm sure Tyson Fury is going to fucking <laughs> give Dana a call. I'll help you out. Uh, so and then somebody, you know how John Jones loves to. Uh, quote, tweet the the replies and give an answer. Somebody answers here, how many rounds, if you're that confident? Jones says round one. First off, you know, I love the boys over at MMA Fighting, but would you call that a fiery response? I would call that like a uh, a monotone, tepid response. That doesn't seem that fiery to me. He didn't call him a bald-headed midget or anything like that.
1: You're not going to get a lot of clicks with your tepid response. John Jones issues normal response. Yeah. You know, that's that's not going to work for me. But <laughs> we also, Fiery in, in that headline is there to sort of disguise the fact that this is one of the genre of MMA website stories. That is essentially, we read social media and tell you what's on there. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all we're doing with these stories. Not adding anything of our own, just... We saw some stuff. You have access to the same Twitter we do, bro, but we just told telling you what's on there in case you haven't seen this one yet. Yeah, that's what that is.
0: Anyway, Tyson, that's Fury. like 60
1: percent of MMA media at this point.
0: Tyson Fury, call Dana if you feel like coming over and fighting John mm-hmm. Jones for 50 grand or whatever. Uh, that'd be a, that'd be a great deal for you. Tyson Fury jumps on again. He talks about no no man of a from a mother or I don't know what he said. It was something that I'm sure makes sense to the people of jolly old England, but is. Uh, weird thing to say over here. He says all this stuff. Says none of these boxers want to fight him. Francis Ngannou jumps in, says, "Hey man, I've been here the whole time. If none of these boxers want to fight you, let's make it official." John Jones says some more shit. Then Tyson Fury appears. To, I don't know. You want to say he walked it back? But he said, uh, "I'm not a cage fighter." Is kind of what he said in response to John Jones's challenge. To which then John Jones responded, "You switched up the beat faster than Travis Barker." Which for John Jones is a sweet burn. Uh, but this is kind of where we are now. Just a just a round robin tournament of everybody with their half baked uh insults going back and forth to each other.
1: Travis Barker, huh? Yeah, that's the one.
0: Famed drummer Travis Barker.
1: Yeah, I know. I know who he is. Blink One Eighty Two guy, right?
0: Mm-hmm. What well, did it's you just? Th- I mean, did you think I that John Jones was gonna come out and be like, "Oh, you switched up your beat quicker than Buddy Rich. You switched <laughs> it up faster than Gene Krupa." Over there, Tyson Fury. John Jones knows one drummer.
1: Let's be honest. Who's the, who's, who's the guy from Rush? Was that Neil Pert? Yeah, okay, yeah. That, I mean, yeah, I might have gone Neil Pert there. But uh, okay, you're right that John Jones has to think of a drummer real quick, and he thinks of the guy from Blink 182. So that's a that's
0: Successful solo career. Don't forget about the transplants. Don't forget about Travis Barker's yeah, fine work, work with the, the, the transplants. transplants. How'd that happen? Well, they had that one uh, shampoo commercial. Neutrogena, where their song was on there.
1: That's how you know you're a great punk band, is your your Neutrogena commercial. Um, Okay, yeah. The, I guess I'm just like tired of that aspect of the conversation because we all know, for one thing, like John Jones knows, and we know that John Jones knows, Tyson Fury is not going to call up Dana White and be like, (laughs) can I please have a contract that will pay me a fraction of my worth and allow you to profit off of me while you have to do essentially nothing. Like is there a way that we could come to some kind of agreement on that, please? No, he's not going to do that. There's no reason for him to do that. John Jones knows that. It's the thing of two dogs separated by a chain-link fence getting real aggressive, barking at each other, because they know the fence is there. That's what they're both doing there. If I'm Francis Ngannou and I see a video of Tyson Fury being like, none of these boxers want to box me. That's when I'm just like, my time is now. Yeah. This is the exact opportunity I was waiting for. This is exactly the kind of shit that I was trying to put myself in a good position for. Now here it is. I would love to fight you. Francis Ngannou would probably do it for less guaranteed money than any of these other boxers out there. If you're Tyson Fury, you got to think you win that one against Francis Ngannou. And you got to think that it does much bigger numbers than, you know, just another one of you fighting the, a guy that you've already fought. You, you get both the boxing crowd and the MMA crowd. I, I would just think that it's a, a kind of a no brainer there, especially if you're Tyson Fury and you're feeling like I can't get anything done with any of the, the heavyweights in boxing right now.
0: Yeah. And like to his credit, that's what the Francis Ngannou tweet says. He's like, Oh, steep a style. Let's get something on the books. Pretty much. I, Let me say, the tenor of this tweet seems to bolster the guess that Francis Ngannou doesn't necessarily really have anything cooking in boxing. Uh, Which, you know, before he departed the UFC, Tyson Fury had him in the ring. They had an awkward conversation about his Corey. Uh,
1: The size of his Corey. Yeah. Yeah, We all remember uh, that.
0: It seemed like it would happen. And now that he's been in free agency, he announces the PFL deal, says he can go box whenever he wants, he says. But, you know, you're you're sending tweets to Tyson Fury. It doesn't necessarily sound like anybody's having any serious conversations, which is a surprise to me, because like you just said, to me, it seems like a no brainer. It seems like why in the hell if you were any one of these boxers, wouldn't you want to fight Francis Ngannou? You're going to do a decent pay-per-view number just off the fact that most MMA people are going to buy it. Probably most of the Zufa zombie reply guys who say that they won't buy it are going to buy it. They're going to watch the pay-per-view. You probably win. You get to keep what I assume is the lion's share of the money. You give Francis Ngannou uh, a handful of millions. He'll be fine. He'll be happy. And like I said, if you're Tyson Fury, 99.999% chance you win. Why wouldn't you do it? I just don't understand why you wouldn't do it. It makes no sense to me that we haven't already got this thing signed or that it doesn't even seem like it's really a realistic possibility at
1: this point. Yeah. It does seem like all the pieces are right there, right? Yeah. Why don't we go ahead, make some shit happen? Uh if you're Tyson Fury, how are you on the internet complaining that
0: none of these boxers want to fight you when Francis Ngannou has been saying for over a year that he would fight you, like offering you a lucrative fight that you would win. And here you are just like every other man on the planet recording your Instagram video while you're driving in your car saying that uh, no one will fight you. It's just like, I mean, that's actually a problem. Like we've got the solution. It's It's right there. It's obvious.
1: I could see if his reasoning was something along the lines of, I have these boxers in mind. I want to fight a you know, championship level boxer and not a guy who doesn't box. But it's Tyson Fury that we're talking about. Yeah. I don't believe that is a big concern of his. I don't believe he's like, this fight lacks the legitimacy that I am looking to add to my legacy. No, man, the fight will make you millions and millions of dollars and you'll probably win. So those seem to be the things that he would care about most. So, yeah, I, I am a little surprised there. And frankly, it makes doesn't make you just wish you could sit them both down, get them both in a room. I feel like you don't got to be a master negotiator on this one. Just get those guys together. Talk about how we, we can solve each other's problems here. This would be good for everybody. Gentlemen, can we come to an agreement? What's it going to take to put you guys in a boxing ring this year? Yeah. Uh, it it seems like it ought to be easily doable Uh, john jones gonna go and stick his nose in from afar um this though i guess maybe brings us to the point can we talk about the the sad irony of how john jones is going about talking about francis and ganu now especially i don't know if you saw this i saw uh uh, I think it was Alex Bahunan doing yeah. an interview with Maurice Green. Did you see yeah. this? The crochet and boss. At the end of, and then John like, Jones the cr- is going to – The crochet sk- boss.
0: John Jones is going to uh, photobomb. He's going to crash mm-hmm. Maurice Green's interview here and call Francis Ngannou a pussy, which, hey, man, if you're Alex, oh, you just hit the jackpot. Here you are yeah. conducting your relatively low-profile interview uh, with the crochet boss, <laughs> Maurice Green, who I've talked to several times and is a super nice guy. Uh, but you're interviewing him, and all of a sudden, the GOAT – the goat's going to stick his head in the frame and talk some shit to Francis Ngannou? Like, uh, brother, the MMA gods just blessed you. They just made yeah. it rain for you in terms of the attention that your interview is going to get. But like you said, this here's John Jones talking shit to Francis Ngannou. He sent the weird tweet a couple days prior to that about how he's going to call himself the baddest man on the planet from across the street. How does that work? And Francis Ngannou replied, well, across the street then. Uh, it's like a couple years ago, John Jones and Francis Ngannou were in the exact same position. In fact, John Jones sent numerous angry tweets, uh, directed at the UFC where he says, uh, First of all, he was offered eight to ten million dollars to fight Francis Ngannou. He said eight to ten million is way too low. He said I'm supposed to be waiting for their what their offer is going to be. Really hoping the number are, numbers are nowhere that low. I guess we'll see what happens. I've been working my ass off for years, concussions, surgeries, fighting the toughest competition the UFC had to offer throughout my twenties for right around two million per fight. I'm just trying to have my payday. The fight that all of us fighters believe is one day possible. Uh, I tweeted, show me the money, and evidently that pissed off the boss. What a learning lesson. I feel like if Connor would have sent that same tweet, there would have been whiskey night. So then things escalate a little more. Dana White says he wanted Deontay Wilder money. John Jones responds, don't be a fucking liar. My reputation has already taken enough hits. I don't need this bullshit, Dana. I never asked for Deontay Wilder's numbers. And how about since Deontay is making 30 million, we settle for half that since you said I'm the goat and everything. Uh, I don't even make half of what Deontay Wilder makes. If my reputation causes you to undervalue me this much, just go ahead and release me from my UFC contract altogether. I'm sure some promoter somewhere will be more more than happy to pick
1: me up. Yeah, now see, Here's Dana White's comments after John Jones remember, tweeted that show me the money thing. And this was after uh, Francis Ngannou beat Stipe in the rematch. Dana White had said at the post-fight presser, if I'm John Jones and I'm home watching this fight, I would start moving to 85, meaning 185, instead of moving up to heavyweight, Dana White said. Uh, So... That was for one thing, being like, oh, this is scary. Francis Ngannou, this guy's so good. Just beat Stipe as a heavyweight champ now. And then John, when John Jones tweets, Show me the money, Dana White says, I could sit here all day and tell you what show me the money means. I tell you guys this all the time. You can say you want to fight somebody, but do you really want to? I promise you. We can call Derek Lewis and one of these other heavyweights, and they want the fight. If John Jones wants the fight, John Jones knows he can get the fight. All he's got to do is call and do it. John Jones, my man. How do you not see that you are basically trying to do to Francis and Ganu exactly what Dana White did to you? Is be like, oh, this guy took a better deal somewhere else. This guy looked out for his own best interests. Pussy. Doesn't want to fight me. Scared. Yeah. That's what that is. He, he went somewhere else to make more money because he's scared of me. And you were doing it. You were doing exactly the same thing that they did to you, man. Using that, because they know it'll work on a certain segment of fight fans. It works every time on a certain segment of mouth-breathing UFC Zufa zombies. They'll they'll buy any kind of company line there. They love to think of fighters as being permanently scared and just terrified <laughs> of this shit. They, they will fall for it, and you know that they'll fall for it. And so you're doing it exactly the same way it was done to you. How do you not see that? Yeah. Or do you just not give a shit? Do you just think like, uh, you know, or do you... Is it... A thing that you would like to believe, maybe in your heart of hearts, you you want to believe that Francis Ngannou is just that scared of you, and also maybe you can't face the possibility that Francis Ngannou stuck to his guns yeah. and got what he wanted, whereas John Jones, uh, you know, planted his feet in the ground, said, "I want this thing, I want this thing," stayed out for a, a while, and then eventually sort of caved. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, if my recollection of the turn of events is is accurate, what happened was Francis Ngannou decided to leave the UFC, was declared a free agent in December. And then my assumption is that the UFC behind closed doors said, well, shit. If we're going to lose Francis, we better go lock down John, not only so that we have a marketable heavyweight up at the top of the division, but also so that nobody else can make that fight. And they went right. back to Jones and we have no idea how much they paid him, but we know that they locked him down f- basically until the end of his career, like an eight fight deal or something like that. Uh, I think we can infer that he is not going to get paid as much as Francis and Gano will get paid in the PFL. Uh, so it could be that there's some sour grapes there. But let's also recall that John Jones's previous contract with the UFC, the one that he spent, what, two or three years out of the cage trying to renegotiate, trying to get more money, that was going to expire in 2024. Now you got Francis Ngannou over on the PFL, he's not going to fight until 2024. So if John Jones had just hung on to his holdout a little bit longer and he was released from his UFC contract, then we could have the fight. We could have the fight over in the PFL. So let's not talk about who is saying they're the baddest man on the planet from across the street. Let's not, you know, sling any of these empty verbal barbs when, like, the fight was right there, man. The fight was to be made. And the people who are to blame for the fight now not being a a possibility are number one, the UFC, because like Bud Light, they wouldn't pay me nothing. And number two, like uh, John Jones, John Jones could have continued his holdout. I guess it would have taken some ability for him to perhaps predict the future. But like, once Francis Ngannou leaves, the writing's on the wall, man. If you want that fight and you think you can make multiple millions of dollars, go get it. He didn't do that. He re-signed with the UFC, and now you have the reality that we have today. Yeah. Anyway, let's shift gears. Let's do $20 we never want to see again here after spending 25 minutes talking about a bunch of 270 pound guys shooting mean tweets back and forth at each other. <laughs> uh the, You know, this week and, and the previous week, pretty good. Well, I mean, pretty good for me. Last week, much better than this week. But this week, I continue to make money. I continue to make a little money back here during $20 we never want to see again. I had, let's see here, six bets. I only won three of them. But the ones that I did win paid out considerably. I had the Kraken to win game six they did in fact do that at plus 130 that paid out $11 and 50 cents I had Jailton Almeida by submission that paid out uh, at $4 and 67 cents and I had Matt Brown at plus 185 to win he did in fact win that paid out $7 and 12 cents so I finished up with an amazing final total of 2329 for a $3 and 29 cent profit let me see where I was at. Let's see what my, my terrible number was coming into this thing. I was at minus minus fifty five forty two. So I'll go ahead and I'll add my $3.29 to that. And now I am at minus 52.03. So sometime in 2025, I should be out of this hole, Ben folks.
1: <laughs> Last week went pretty well for me. As well, uh, you'll recall, you know, I'm on a little bit of a hot streak because I won uh, three dollars and twenty cents two weeks ago. The last week, a profit of 73 cents. Mm. This week came away with 26.90. That's a profit of six dollars and ninety cents. Not too shabby, yeah. I had Ian Gary by TKO that hit, I had uh, my baseball parlay, the Yankees and the Brewers that hit. Um, so yeah, it made me 26,90, almost 27. So tantalizing close to 27. I was at 22 dollars and 24 cents in the hole. Now I'm at 15 dollars and 34 cents in the hole with Chad, you'll no doubt remember, five dollars still in play.
0: Just much closer than breaking into breaking into the positive numbers than I
1: am.-hmm. Am. This could be the week.
0: All right, let's go with this week. I've got seven bets. Woohoo.
1: I got four. Wow.
0: Okay. So you're going with the big bites strategy this week, and I'm going with the, uh, with the small bites strategy. Uh, I'll just start here. I have a $5 bet on Katie Taylor over there across the pond in her boxing match. Go over there to her long-awaited homecoming and get the win. She's a minus 200 favorite. That will pay out $7.50. Okay. This is a weird UFC card also, let me say, especially when it comes yeah. to the numbers. I feel like there's a lot of live dogs on this card, which is generally uh, a recipe for me losing a lot of money. But nonetheless, I have a bunch of small plus money bets here. I will tell you about my two parlays. Shit, I guess I got three parlays, actually. (laughs) I have a three-fight parlay here, which is Nascimento, Karolina, Kovalkevich, and then I sprinkled a little little bit of... uh, Nicola Silva is that her name I don't have the card in front of me you can tell I'm a big fan Uh, she's like minus 600 or something that gets you to plus uh, 203 so a $2.50 bet would pay out $7.59 and uh, then I have Chase Hooper and uh, yeah he's the uh, oh no I'm sorry I have Chase Hooper and his opponent to go under 1.5 rounds which is plus one hundred fifty. So a two dollar and fifty cent bet would pay out six twenty-five.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um, I also have a boxing bet. Mine is I'm gonna take Devin Haney via decision over Lomoshenko hmm. Saturday night, minus one hundred seventy odds on that, five dollars to make a seven
0: ninety-four. Okay. Lomoshenko, now that's a boxer I've heard of. Yeah. But he's expected to lose this weekend, huh?
1: He is a little bit of an older gentleman at this point. Lomachenko is 35, I believe, uh, and Devin Haney, that boy quite good, and also that boy very careful. Very, very careful in there. Does not take a whole lot of unnecessary chances, and therefore eh, knows his way around a decision. So that's what I'm thinking.
0: All right. So this is my other parlay. It was Natalia Silva, by the way, was the other person that I bet on. Uh, I just, I got Slava Claus. I'm going to go ahead and take Slava Claus, Vak- Vakoslav Borshev, to beat uh the guy who's only going by one name at this point, Mahashate, And I am going to parlay him up with Lupi. Lupita Godinez. Gudon- G- 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 Godinez. 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 She's going to beat Emily Ducat. Uh, so Lupi and Slava Claus. That is a $2.50 bet at... Plus one sixty-seven, which will pay out $6.69. I can
1: tell tell you really did a lot of research on this one. I always do. Every week.
0: Every week I'm just pouring over the numbers before we get into this thing.
1: Really deep into the analytics on these fighters who you totally know everything about. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm an analytics guy. That is a great way to describe
1: me. That is what I always tell people about you. Well, Chad... I got Edmund Shabazian. Oh, okay. Straight up, yeah,
0: that's interesting because, well, what are we doing with Edmund Shabazian here? We just
1: we don't fucking know. We
0: just got him back on track, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're going to put him up into an underdog fight with Anthony Hernandez. What are we doing? What's uh, we don't have a we don't have a Shabazian plan? That's what this is nope. telling me.
1: We do not. We do not. We we're just pulling names out of a hat, essentially. Uh, but yeah, I I think still. You know, my man went and got with Extreme Couture, got right, got over there, got the work in. I feel like he's a brand new fighter. Anthony Hernandez is still a a little bit of a tough matchup for maybe where Edmund Shabazian is right now. I think he can get it done. I think he pulls off the minor upset victory here. I get plus 175 odds on this one. Five bucks to make 1375.
0: Yeah. Okay. I I didn't see very many people picking Shabazian, but... I stayed away from it because I think, you know, uh, that's not an unfounded bet that you've made.
1: Thank you. I also... I'm less confident when you like one of my bets, you know?
0: I'm going to swoop in and take the underdog money on Michael Johnson. He is plus 135. A $2.50 bet would pay out $5.87. Now, he's fighting Carlos Diego Fajera, who has gone 0-3. In his last three appearances, although against tough competition, Benil Dariush, Gregor Gillespie and Mateusz Gamrot hasn't fought since December of 2021, 38 years old. I guess I'll take the underdog money on Michael Jans- Johnson all day if that's the guy he's fighting.
1: Okay. Um. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to take Angela Hill to win this one in the main event over Mackenzie Dern. I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Uh, Angela Hill's a little bit of an underdog here. And I might have previously said like, okay, Mackenzie Dern probably wins this one. And then Mackenzie Dern showed up on fight week and started telling us about all the stuff that's been going on (laughs) in her life. Yeah. Yeah. And that she talked me into it, man. (laughs) She talked me into a bet on Angela Hill with all that. You know, not because I think that like uh, she sucks or anything, but just like, that's a lot to be dealing with while you're trying to get ready for a fight not only you know going through a divorce like that's that's not always easy on people plus her coach just not around she said you know her coach was with Luke Rockhold getting ready for BKFC and was gone for like a month so that's not great if your coach just isn't there whole lot of stuff going on for Mackenzie Dern and some fighters maybe they thrive on that like adversity they kind of like it and it drives them but a lot of people the more things that are variables that seem to be changing in your training camp leading up to a fight, the the worse I feel about your chances to win the fight. Especially as against somebody like Angela Hill, where like you're probably gonna have yourself a close fight with Angela Hill regardless. Yeah. yeah. Whether you beat her or whether you don't. And so all that stuff, that was enough for me. I'll put five bucks down on Angela Hill, five to make twelve fifty. Okay. Is that your last one? I got one more, and it is not in any sort of combat sport.
0: Okay, uh, I got Andre Fiallo to go out and beat Joaquin Buckley, despite the fact that uh, Joaquin Buckley showed up looking like a model from a comic book, the, the the after picture of the of the comic book ad where a nerd gets a fistful of sand thrown in his face, and then he goes and he mm-hmm. works out, shows up looking like Joaquin Buckley. Andre Fiallo plus one eighty five. A two dollar and fifty cent bet would pay out seven dollars and twelve cents. And then I'll just tell you, I'm right there with you. I got Angela Hill by decision, plus two hundred. A two dollar and fifty cent bet will pay out seven
1: fifty. Damn. See that, Okay. Now that is what I should have. Because if you're gonna pick Angela Hill, especially in this fight, yeah, it's gonna be a decision.
0: You know what analytics you got to do to to come up with the idea that Angela Hill's gonna win by decision? Look at her Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah, that's the analytics on that one.
1: Down the Wikipedia page. Yeah. Um, all right, my last bet. I'm going to go across the pond over there to the English Premier League, mm-hmm. Chad. Yeah, I know you like you, to do you this. You know how I love to bet on the EPL. Uh, I got a two-match parlay. They call them matches <laughs> okay. over there. Yeah, the no, game, you sound like We call real, them games. They call them matches. Real natural. Yeah. Out there on the pitch. Gimme man, City. The absolute juggernaut that is Manchester City. By the way, Chad, I don't know if you follow them this week, punched their ticket to the uh the Champions League final. Okay. Just absolutely wrecked Real Madrid's shit in the second leg. Gimme Man City and gimme Newcastle. That's a two match parlay, five bucks to make eight fifty seven. Okay. That yeah. one just money in my pocket already.
0: Wow. All right. Well, not to jinx it or anything. Nope. Uh, All right, let's bring the music in. We'll go ahead and get started with Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. It rolls off the tongue. We're counting them down from 10 to 1, the most powerful happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. We just talked about it a second ago, so we're going to carry on our conversation. Number 10 this week, Ben. So what do we think about Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill? Now this, in fairness to this weekend's UFC Fight Night event, which feels low profile, but it does have a number of known recognizable names on it. Angela Hill against Mackenzie Dern is like the second or third option for the main event for this thing. We had a couple of other fights fall out. I believe Angela Hill and Mackenzie Dern were supposed to fight last week on the UFC on ABC card, but they got bounced by a week so that we would have a serviceable main event for this UFC Fight Night card, and now here we are. Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill, Dern going off as we mentioned as the favorite. Angela Hill, a bit of a tough nut to crack though, perhaps this for this stylistic matchup if Mackenzie Dern can't take her down Angela Hill wins this right
1: you know Angela Hill's fighting style doesn't always seem to go over well with judges
0: that is true I'll say
1: that that is true she's been a lot of those kind of fights where you're like man that decision could have gone either way and those just seem to not go her way and so I do wonder about that like we You know, Mackenzie's Dern, Mackenzie Dern's striking for what we've seen has improved a lot, but it's still not ever going to be the focal point of her game, nor should it be. And so, yeah, if you don't get yourself a grappling match here, if you end up, you know, closing your eyes and throwing right hand over and haymakers at Angela Hill, does she kind of pick you apart and outpoint you? Or if it's a close one, does Mackenzie Dern sometimes looking like she's doing more win over the judges? Uh, that's that's where it gets tricky for me
0: yeah maybe so maybe so i just can't see her really hanging with angela hill on the feet i guess the flip side of that is if it hits the ground then Mackenzie dern gets to work that kind of prodigy brazilian jiu-jitsu skill that she has although not really confidence inspiring to hear her comments as you mentioned before this one uh so you know if you if you show up not ready to impose your game plan or go the 15 or 25 full minutes with Angela Hill, you might not win. You might not win. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Number nine this week, Ben Jake Paul's overwhelming respect for boxing can rest easy. KSI's win over Joe Fournier has been declared a no contest. (laughs) Now you remember this one. This is when KSI went standing elbow strike during his Misfits 7 boxing match against Joe Fournier to get the win. Uh, we we ran the tape back on that a couple times, and uh, now we have declared it a no contest, which I don't... I mean, this the the fact that the Professional Boxing Association has to solely its hands by getting down in yeah. the muck to try to figure out if KSI's knockout of Joe Fournier should stand is really depressing, but... Here we are, no contest. I don't know why we have to either declare a winner, a loser, or a no contest in any of these fights, but uh, but Jake Paul, I'm sure he'll he'll sleep well tonight, knowing that boxing has not been disrespected by uh, KSI's elbow strike
1: victory. Thank God, the purity of boxing has been upheld. So this is what it takes, huh? Mm-hmm. This is what it, this is one where we actually the the commission wants to go back and take a look and be like, okay, make sure we get the right call. Some UFC undercarders bring on be like, look, I was poked in the eye. And while I was holding onto my eye, dude jumped on my back and choked me. What the fuck? And they'll be like, LOL, sorry, bro. It be like that sometimes is essentially the, the Athletic Commission official response. Oh, but here, Jake Paul shined his, his light, his searching morality light onto this one and was like, this cannot stand. And they said, you know what? We agree. Justice must be done here. L-O-L.
0: I mean, I should hope that Jake Paul was not actually the catalyst for this thing, but who knows? Maybe he actually was. Number eight this week, Ben. Yo, Alex Pereira versus Yanni Blackjacks. That's interesting, man. That's Mm -hmm. fucking interesting. This was part of the boatload of fights that Dana White announced on Tuesday, completely randomly, having nothing to do with anything else that may have happened in the news that day. This will be Alex Pereira's light heavyweight debut, the co-main event of UFC 291 in Salt Lake City on July 29th. And I mean, I guess if you're Alex Pereira, you're going to get a big fight at light heavyweight. Uh, but but here's one that I think will let us know if he can compete up there with the big fellas. And Yanni Blackjacks, this is going to be a uh, a stylistic banger, is, is how it kind of seems from the outside looking in.
1: They're, they're not really trying to ease Alex Pereira's move to light heavyweight, are they? No. You're
0: going to call uh, Yanni Blackjacks the guy who is the official welcoming committee for middleweights when they try to move up to 205.
1: I mean... It's, that's interesting. The whole thing is just very interesting and it does it I mean I guess every once in a while when we talk about the pros and the cons of the the way the UFC can can be able to do some of this business is just be like has leverage over the fighters sometimes to make them take fights that otherwise maybe wouldn't be their first choice. And that can be tough on the fighter sometimes, but when you're a fan, you'd be like, okay, Alex Pereira's going up to light heavyweight. You know, if it were boxing or something, he'd probably set himself up with two or three easy ones. And here, we're going to go up, we're going to give you the former champ who, you know, maybe has lost a step here or there, but also always manages to be tricky and tough in ways you don't totally expect. That's an interesting fight.
0: Yeah, I mean, we remember, we, we all learned, if we will recall, that... uh Jan Blahovic is not afraid to mess around with some takedowns if he is fighting a pure striker moving up from 185. Mm-hmm. That's what we found out at UFC 259 against Israel Adesanya. Now, if you're Yanni Blackjacks and you get yourself into a straight up striking match with Alex yeah, Pereira, do that. you might be don't. in trouble. And we all know mm-hmm. Alex Pereira looking large and in charge in some of these photos we see of him outside the cage. So chances are he will fit in up there at light heavyweight. But if this is a three round co main, my man. But Yanni Blackjacks needs all of about three takedowns to, to salt away a decision here. So it might come down to Alex Pereira's takedown defense against uh, what is maybe a naturally bigger dude. So
1: yeah, we'll see. And that another instance of a guy who has gotten used to not only having a great striking advantage over it, but having a great striking advantage over guys who are usually shorter and smaller than he is and now probably not going to have that.
0: Yeah. Uh, number seven this week, Ben, let's take a moment to talk our way through some of the personal fashion choices on display during this week's BKFC weigh-ins. Okay. Now, all right. I sent you a link. I did notice this. I sent you a link to Uh the MMA junkie, uh, photo essay
1: about it. I follow BKFC on the grams. I I had seen this. This had, this had not escaped my notice.
0: Now, frankly, uh, bud, we could spend all day going through these photos of the BKFC weigh-ins, but I wanted to scroll down just a little bit here to point out some of the stuff that's going on. Now, uh, you're, your two female fighters, which perhaps is not coincidentally the lead photo of the MMA junkie weigh-in bonanza, despite the fact that I don't think it's the main event, some girl's going to show up in a thong, right? You know, that's going to happen at the BKFC uh, weigh-ins, but yeah, I'm going to save it for a little later once we get down to the bottom of this thing, because one of the outfits that, uh, that we show up in here is really extraordinary. But if you start to scroll down through some of these photos here, you really get yourself into a uh, a menagerie of amazing tattoo choices. First yes. of all, I would call your attention to Josh Craigie, mm-hmm. who's fighting yes. at BKFC, who kind of looks like a guy who might uh, take your car in to give you an oil change if you pulled into quickie lube just from the neck up. He, this this guy whips his, his shirt off, man, and up there tattooed across the right bicep, it says "fuck you." Yep, that's what the tattoo says. "Fuck you," right on the right on the right bicep.
1: I feel like that one, that one probably makes a real great first impression at the beach, yeah. don't you think? Because mm-hmm. it's like, bro, we we don't even know each other. Fuck me. What you know? Not to get all fifty cent on it, but what do you say? Fuck me for? Yeah, I, you know.
0: I'm just trying to have a nice time with my family.
1: (laughs) He goes to the tattoo artist and he was just like, I just want to say, fuck you. Yeah.
0: I want it in a a bold sans serif, maybe aerial type. That's what we got going on there. Scroll down a little bit more and you look at uh, Idris Wasi. And this man has a Ninja Turtle tattooed right in the middle of his chest. And it says in kind of a funny uh, rainbow script, kind of bubble letters, 90s baby. (laughs)
1: yeah okay sure
0: professional Mm -hmm. fighter with a uh, with a ninja turtle tattoo you continue to scroll down you know Jeff Sounder just has a uh, looks like a samurai head tattooed in the middle of his chest so that's that's pretty straightforward in terms of a of a combat sports athlete. We got. Hey man, are you
1: going to keep fucking around, or are we going to talk about Jade Wong and Taylor Starling? Well,
0: can we mention Andrew Potter's kind of what looks like a prison tattoo that might be a bear, might be a demon, very large on his chest, very large right there.
1: Jade Wong. And Taylor Starling, Andrew I'm Potter say also this.
0: has a couple of oh, assault on.
1: rifles. Come on,
0: he's got a couple of assault rifles tattooed on his right deltoid with a skull in the middle of it. What
1: are you? What are you doing right now, Chad? I'll say this for both BKFC when they booked these women to fight, and these women when they show they, when they pick their outfits to show up for the weigh-ins, they understand their audience. They know. They know how to become the lead photo choice on MMA Junkie in the photo gallery from the BKFC weigh-ins. Jeremy it's not Saucedo by being has, Houston a, Alexander, has a clock you know? tattooed
0: in the middle of his chest. It's a clock. It looks like it has some wings. And then I think there's a skull in there as well.
1: Okay. what? How would you describe, since you're such a tattoo enthusiast here, mm-hmm. how would you describe the tattoo... That we see on Taylor Starling's buttocks.
0: Uh, Well, let's see. Sean Wilson shows up in a Hannibal Lecter mask. Chad. So you got that going on. That's one of the other personal fashion choices that's happening at this weekend. You're scared
1: to talk about this. All right. Well, let me scroll down.
0: Let me scroll down because there's a lot of goddamn pictures here. Noah Cutter has like a devil tattooed on one side of his belly button and then what apparently maybe also is a samurai head tattooed on the other side, but... I know the outfit that you're talking about. Let me let me. Yeah, uh you do. There's Houston Alexander. Yeah, you do. He's still alive. Going to fight at BKFC this weekend. <laughs> now, are we? We're not talking Jade Wong, right? We're talking. Uh, we're talking Taylor, Taylor Starling. Starling,
1: her opponent. I mean, they both have interesting outfits. Well, that, where you, they both look like they got lost on the way to different like Vegas showgirl shows. Yeah,
0: Taylor Starling looks like she's the queen of an alien planet. Yes, with like a weird. She's got like. Uh, I would call it a tiara, but that doesn't do justice to the headgear here. It's more like uh it's more like a crown made out of firecrackers. It looks like something the Statue of Liberty would wear.
1: Yeah. All Whereas right. Jade Wong looks like uh she is the leader of a all girl biker gang. Yeah. In uh, uh Japanese anime porn.
0: Jade Wong, by the way, has the words keep your head up tattooed. Uh, from the, the sternum area all the way down to her belly button. It says, keep your head up. Okay. But, uh, cut to the chase here. Taylor Starling's butt tattoo is, well, It's there's definitely a snarling black panther,
1: right? That's kind of on the hip, yeah.
0: Well, no, there's another one on the butt, right? There's, she's got one on the hip, but then right there on, it would be the left buttock. It looks like there's like a flower background but then yeah i'm pretty sure there's a another roaring black panther head there hmm. is that what you're seeing it's interesting or am i seeing it okay yeah
1: yeah yeah i guess now now i do kind of see it it's you really got to look look deeply into there um it's just like how what at what point in your tattoo journey do you think you roll up and you're like okay these uh these designs i've got picked out going right on the butt cheeks yeah and do you – is that a thing that you do at the same time or do you get like one tattoo on one butt cheek and you'll be like, I feel a little asymmetrical. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get one on the other cheek as well.
0: I think what you're thinking is when I show up in my thong at the BKFC weigh-in, I'm going to be the lead photo on MMA Junkie. I think that's what you're thinking.
1: Yeah. And you know what? In fairness, following BKFC on the grams did show me that – It was the lead photo there, too. So Ah,
0: so maybe she knew exactly
1: what she was doing. I'm telling you, people understood the assignment. Ah,
0: Exactly right. Number six this week, Ben, the Conor McGregor documentary has landed. And I think we can all agree it makes us feel dirty. But will we watch it?
1: I'll say this. I'll watch it, if you will, for discussion (laughs) on a future episode of Doing the Damn Thing. But if you're not going to do that, then I'm not going to do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's on Netflix, right? And I don't currently have a next Netflix subscription because I canceled mine in solidarity with the WGA writer strike. Uh, I I did not say this to Kevin yesterday when we had him on doing the damn thing. But they really need to wrap that thing up before the new season of I think you should leave drops, uh, which I think might be end of this month or next month. Yeah, I
1: don't think I don't think it's going to happen, Chad. God damn that, it.
0: That's really going to test my resolve choices. It's going to test yeah. my solidarity. Uh, The Conor McGregor documentary is the most obvious whitewash PR move that we've seen in a while, right? Because Conor McGregor, bad reputation, accused of multiple sexual and physical assaults against various people around him over a long period of time. But I think we can all agree Conor McGregor can make it look good for a documentary filmmaker who also happens to be perhaps in his pocket. So I would expect this, however long it is, documentary, um, 90 minutes is my assumption, is going to be an effective publicity tool for the McGregor team, especially since we have the broken leg to work with. We have the the return from the terrible injury. We have Conor McGregor talking to some children at one point in this thing. So like, you're going to get good stuff for your Conor McGregor documentary, which is really going to help you rehabilitate the image. Should we though? Should we be rehabilitating the image?
1: I mean, nobody making this was asking ourselves is this ethically the right choice to make? (laughs) I just, I'm so sick of what people have done to the documentary genre with shit like this. Because I'm old enough to remember that when there was a documentary put out on somebody, it was usually by like a third party who actually wanted to go in there and tell the story as it is. And I mean, sometimes, sure, they would lean a little bit overly friendly or leaving out some context or things like that. But you used to hear documentary and you'd be like, okay, this is a serious thing that we're doing. Somebody is actually taking a real hard look at this subject. And now, especially when it's about any kind of famous person who's still alive, documentary really just means thing that they made about themselves to make them look cool, to leave out the stuff they don't like, talk about the stuff they do want to draw your attention to. And it sucks, man. It sucks that we've just come to accept that that's what a documentary is about a famous person now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, All right, let's move on here. Number five this week, Ben Swerve. Company man Daniel Cormier is pretty complimentary, kind of, of Francis Ngannou's free agency. Now, this comes from the DC and RC show which is over mm-hmm. there on the ESPNs.
1: He Never says, miss an episode? Yeah.
0: He says, among other things, he says a lot of things here, but here's the here's the one quote I wanted to zero in on. Congratulations congratulations to the former UFC heavyweight champion on really setting a new standard for what is out there in the free agency market. It really feels real after this one. It makes MMA feel real after seeing Francis what Francis Ngannou just did. Now... He is also careful to caveat this around numerous slightly more company man type things to say, but that's pretty like that's if you really start to think about what that means, that it makes MMA, quote unquote, feel real that Francis Ngannou is able to not only get out of his UFC contract, but test the free agent market. And then in John Jones's word, cross the street to a different MMA promotion and sign this huge deal. That's like, that's pretty significant that your other former UFC heavyweight champion is going to say that makes the sport, quote, feel real. Yeah. Because what's the flip side of that?
1: <laughs> the flip side of that is uh, some Mickey Mouse-ass bullshit. <laughs> I want to draw attention to this part of the quote, though, because this is where I almost felt like Cormier might be telling it too straight, going might get himself a little hot water. He says, quote, There's no organization that has talent on par with the UFC as a whole. But there are outliers out there in the world where guys can really compete. You're seeing that now in Bellator. You saw it in Strikeforce, because when all the Strikeforce people came, they became champions. Myself, Ronda Rousey, Luke Rockhold, Robbie Lawler, all these fighters came over and became champions. So we always could compete. I think they have these outliers. So to believe Francis Ngannou is going to fight lesser competition is going to be very difficult to prove because it is tough out there. There are fighters out there that can challenge you out in the world to mix martial arts. As a whole, UFC is where it's supposed to be. But Francis Ngannou has set a new standard. It kind of feels like go play less golf for more money. It's an interesting thing for Daniel Cormier to say yeah. and that he's not necessarily wrong. I mean, I would argue that... If you're looking for the outliers out there that are, are tough, even if they don't get the credit because they are not in an organization called the UFC, I would say heavyweight might not necessarily be exactly packed with those guys yeah. right now. But it is a, a overall a fair point that he's making there, and a almost surprisingly honest point, considering that Daniel Cormier, we've gotten very used to him sort of embracing his company manish role.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, to bring up Strike Force, maybe spoken like a guy who spent a lot of his career being really good in another organization and never really got to shine until he got to the UFC. So maybe yeah. there is some psychological foundation there for why Daniel Cormier would say that. Number four this week, Ben, all Jermaine Sterling says he's still too banged up to confirm that Sean O'Malley fight Dana White has already announced. And dude, this is a super gross thing to say about your shins. Here's the quote. I don't know. We're going to see about the fight. Sterling says my shins are super sensitive, like even to the touch right now. They feel mushy. Almost. I could push and make a dent on my leg. It's pretty crappy. Yeah, dude. That that does sound pretty crappy to have mushy shins since that's what holds your legs up. Don't want those to be (laughs) mushy.
1: As much as it hurts to bang the, that hard part of your shin against like a coffee table or something, I would much prefer that than to reach down there and feel mush. Yep. That ain't right. Nope. Shouldn't
0: be mushy. Bones in general shouldn't be Mushy.
1: Also, I'll say again, just kind of crazy how normalized it is for Dana White to manage to get a bunch of headlines by going out and being like, Guess what? Here's all these fights we got coming up. Look over here, don't look over there, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And then day or two later the guy's like, Uh yeah, I didn't I haven't agreed to that. I don't I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do that. So that might just be all bullshit. Yeah. Interesting. Kind
0: of the whole thing of bones is that they're not mushy. It's kind of their main (laughs) fucking thing.
1: Ideally. Yeah. Ideally not mushy.
0: Number three this week, Ben, the WWE UFC merger guarantees that Vince McMahon will be able to remain too sweet. For life. Now, shout out to our guy over at Bloody Elbow, uh, Jack Winon, who put a, put out this kind of look into the merger documents uh, for the UFC WWE merger. Uh, it's mostly what you would expect, but one thing that I found kind of funny is that one of the things that uh, swung the decision for Vince McMahon, who you will recall is and or was the primary shareholder in the WWE, despite the fact uh, that he had to step down as chairman and CEO last year after the company's board started to investigate alleged payments made to former employees amid allegations of sexual misconduct. So one of his stipulations for whoever was going to buy WWE, and that ended up being Endeavor, was that he would be allowed to to remain as essentially the chairman and CEO of WWE. And here's what it says, how long he gets to do that uh the deal that ended up being made put him in a position that keeps him on board until quote death resignation or incapacity
1: wow that sounds like that sounds like it could be the name of a wwe pay-per-view <laughs> death resignation or incapacity yeah sunday 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 yeah
0: yeah I agree. Death, resignation, or incapacity, which is also what it says in my co-main event podcast contract. Number two this week, Ben, it's George St. Pierre's 42nd birthday, just in case hey. you wa- you wanted to feel old. What would you get him if you could get him anything?
1: You know, I feel like you can't be like, hey, I'm going to give him some lavish gift, because if George St. Pierre wants a lavish gift, he can buy himself one. Yeah, he could. So you got you know what I think George would really enjoy. I think he's the kind of guy where if you gave him one of those like mugs that says FBI, but then you look closer and it says Female Body Inspector. <laughs> I think he'd get a <laughs> kick out of that. I think he would. I think that that's the kind of thing he'd he'd be oh. like, "What? At first I think it says FBI, but I looked closer. <laughs> it is actually a novelty <laughs> mug. It make a joke. Oh. Female Body Inspector." Uh-huh. I also find this humorous because I am interested in women. <laughs> I feel like he'd really like that. He'd okay. enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, I would hope that George would be classier than that. But...
1: I think that that's what would... It would surprise him and it would surprise other people at the party how much he enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, George is absolutely tickled by this mug you got him. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm pretty good at giving gifts.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> uh, See, I was going to go... Uh, custom pillow with his face on it uh (laughs) i mean you see the the i'm inclined to say cloned dinosaur like go to whatever the island where they have jurassic park is and get the mad scientist there to clone george saint pierre like a triceratops or something that would be not necessarily dangerous but would also bring him a lot of joy but I understand that that's a little, you know, that's a little out there. That's not something you can actually yeah. do. So I'm going to go ahead and say.
1: Some, some barriers to that idea.
0: Yeah. Vintage stand-up Donkey Kong machine. Okay.
1: That's what I would get him. Yeah. Put,
0: put it in his house. You think that these uh, these motherfuckers who play the high level Donkey Kong right now have it on lock? Give George St. Pierre 18 months to train Mm -hmm. on a Donkey Kong machine and then we'll see what's up over there at the King of Kong or whatever it's called going down to uh, Fun Vision or wherever they have the Donkey Kong tournaments. Next thing you know, George St. Pierre undisputed pound for pound Donkey Kong champ. Put it in the
1: books. What if you got him like a cornhole set or something? Be like, George, I found a new sport I think you could dominate.
0: (laughs) He's already got that. Definitely already got. He and Rory McDonald are out in the back tossing cornhole right now. (laughs)
1: Throwing
0: some bags. (laughs) (laughs) Number one this week, Ben, is there one guy that we left off our potential opponents for Francis and Ganu list? And is that one guy actually maybe the best choice? And also, is that one guy Junior Dos Santos?
1: Oh, hey, come on.
0: No, don't do this. Come on now. Don't do this to me now. You're going to act like, oh, I'm Ben Folks. I'm too good to entertain the idea of Francis Ngannou <laughs> fighting Junior Dos Santos. You should be ashamed of yourself for even bringing this up. Junior Dos Santos could get seriously hurt in that fight. It's the fight to make. Come on. You can sit there in your basement with your Ultimate Warrior Hulk Hogan poster in the background wearing your Robert De Niro shirt with your hair all teased up like you're in a 70s funk band. You know Ben, folks, this is the fight to make Francis Ngannou and Junior Dos Santos.
1: I don't know how that got so weirdly personal toward the end. <laughs> that seemed I know, unnecessary. You, you
0: haven't even said anything about it yet, too. That's the thing that I like about it. But I just, I knew what you were going to say. We've been doing this long enough that I can look into your face and I know what you're going to say.
1: Chad, do you know where I was on the 29th of June in 2019?
0: Were you watching Junior Dos Santos fight?
1: I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Where there was a UFC on ESPN event, the head the headlining fight of which was Francis Ngannou versus Junior Dos Santos. Now, Junior Dos Santos came into that fight on a three-fight winning streak. He'd beat even Ivanov, he'd beat Tai Tuivasa by TKO, and then he TKO'd Derek Lewis. So, things were going pretty good for your boy, Junior Dos Santos. There was talk that if he beat Francis Ngannou, might get back to the title fight. Who knew, you know? He went out there and he lost in 71 seconds. I watched him do it. He took a swing from too far out against Francis Ngannou, got himself in the range of the bungalows, and that was all she wrote. It was a quick night. Then he proceeded to lose his next four fights. That brings us up to the present day. So I guess what I'm asking you is, what have you seen from France, from Junior Dos Santos since the first Francis Ngannou fight that makes you think, not only would this be competitive, but interesting, relevant for everybody standing in the division, and oh, by the way, also not a threat to the life of good guy Junior <laughs> Dos Santos.
0: <laughs> I mean, you're dealing with a limited crop. That's all I'm saying. You're dealing with a limited crop of potential opponents. Uh, so who's your choice? If not... Junior Dos Santos, if not Alistair Overeem, who also already got melted by Francis Ngannou. Who does that leave's, uh You got Ben Rothwell out there. You got Fab Verdum, I believe, is already under contract to the PFL. You got whoever the PFL heavyweight champion is. And then after that, you're kind of tilting at windmills here, trying to dig up people out of the past, like Josh Barnett. Who's your guy? Who's your pick? What are you thinking?
1: Okay. the The realist in me, would probably say Fab Verdoom because he is under contract to PFL. They got him. You know, you you could make that fight. And you could look I mean you want to talk about like, you know, uh, a guy where uh, you can at least tell us that there's something new going on here that we're watching something different. Uh, all right, fine. Like Fab Verdoom, interesting stylistic matchup maybe for Francis Ngannou. But the uh the homer in me the Ben folks who looks out for his friends. Yeah. Says Ben Rothwell.
0: See, I think because it, it actually the is Dark Lord, Ben Rothwell. I think the top. Well, choice depending on what his is... contract
1: situation is with BKFC, if he can go take that fight, because I would love to see Ben Rothwell make $2 million. Yes. Guaranteed. 100%, yeah. Also, I think you could sell that fight because he's been over there in BKFC just like looking like a fucking extra from Roadhouse, knuckling up. Fucking people up over there, uh, just re- reasserting some level of dominance, showing people he's still a badass man. And you put those guys on a poster together. Ben Rothwell, uh, big dude, hair all over his body at this point in his life, except on the top of his head. Just looks like, like a guy, like the baddest motherfucker in the biker bar, essentially. And then you're going to put him up against Francis Ngannou, and we're going to be like, all right, we're going to find out if Francis Ngannou got that dog in him yeah. out here against Ben Rothwell. You could get people interested in that fight. Plus, I'd just like to see Ben Rothwell get the payday. I agree for
0: all those reasons. My assumption is that he probably could take the fight, that he probably has the freedom in his BKFC uh, contract or a carve out there to go take the fight. The man has already said he's only got a limited number of fights left, and he's here to make that money. And he tweeted earlier this week that he's down for the Francis and Gano match. Uh, and I think he's the best matchup that you can make right now. Now, with the caveat that if Francis isn't going to fight in MMA till 2024, we don't know what the free agent or landscape will look like at that point. But like, man, if you are the PFL and you just committed to Francis Ngannou for six, seven, eight million dollars per fight, whatever it is, do you really want to send him out there against a former world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy whose main thing is tapping out dudes that you don't think he's going to beat? I don't know, man. That's a risky thing. I would much rather send him out there for a punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky fight with Ben Rothwell, which, uh, you know, then you just got to take, you got to let the roll the dice and see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sending him out there against Fabricio Verdum in the first fight. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, that's going to do it this week for the Power Hour and Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. Thanks, for everybody, for listening. If you are enjoying the free version, again, once again, I am once again asking you, like Bernie Sanders in the meme, to sign up for the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon. We've got a patronage tier for every budget. That's it for us this week, but we'll be back on Monday with the proper and then an entire additional week of Patreon content. We hope to see you there. As for right now, have fun this weekend, everybody. We're done.